Alex, uh, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your first dance song at your wedding? I've never actually asked you that. I, I can't remember, actually. I can't remember anything more than five years ago. <laughs> you really don't remember your first dance song? You picked it. Do you remember that? No, we our, our wedding was was uh, non-traditional in that way. Uh, <laughs> th- uh, my brother was a DJ. Okay. Uh, he a just, he just, a weird womb? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I played a lot of disco and other things. <laughs> Excellent. It was probably YMCA. So you didn't do like all the dumb wedding staple things that everybody does? The only thing we did was the dollar dance. Okay. Yeah. Rightfully so. Where so. you get money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's smart. Mm-hmm. That's that. That was the only. Yeah. yeah. Who made more money? I I, th- I I did pretty well. <laughs> you should you should just say your wife. It doesn't matter who actually did it. <laughs> it reflects well on you if you say your wife. <laughs> we didn't count, but I was happy with my my return. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> I would have counted for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I used Savage Beast favorite uh, uh, Talking Heads, uh, This Must Be the Place, Naive Melody, which is um, a song my wife has no connection to whatsoever, but I actually care about music, so I got to pick, and my uncle liked it, so that's great. Um, he even bought me the Stop Making Sense DVD after that, just for fun. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, what... Uh, do you remember what song you had on in the honeymoon suite is the real question. Oh. Or did you play music at all? Yeah, no music at all. I don't, <laughs> I don't think... Who plays music in the hotel? Yeah, that would be weird, actually. I didn't. <laughs> also, I was completely drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the most romantic. That's one thing you learn when you get married is that married sex and wedding sex is not as... Uh, Wedding sex was good. Yeah. It's immediately after that that you get married <laughs> sex. After, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and marriage sex is always great. But yeah, 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 yeah it's great. No, um, it's wonderful. Uh, my wife does not listen to these podcasts, so I'm in no danger here. I don't know about yours. Um, oh, she'll be listening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already regretting this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it in post. Welcome to Savage Beast. I'm not Joe Gallagher, and with me, as only one time before, is Alex Parisi. Hello, hello. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not Joe Gallagher. Yeah, I'm actually Paul McLeod. Uh, the reason I'm introducing uh, the your humble hosts this evening and not Joe is that, as loyal Savage Beast listeners will know, uh, Joe uh, was last time recorded on the verge of welcoming his son into the world. And uh, about a week and a half ago, actually nearly two weeks ago now, he actually did welcome that son into the world. Yeah. I thought that was going to be bad news. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, his lovely wife Alex delivered one uh, Gabriel James Gallagher on uh, Friday two weeks ago. We're recording on a Thursday. Um, and as a result, not Kid A Gallagher. No, we thought about that. Um, obviously, you know yeah. that. Um, <laughs> but still, ultimately, still a very strong name. Ultimately, I overruled Joe on that one and chose the name that they actually use. No, they didn't consult me. Um, uh, but um, they uh, they had a pretty rapid labor. I think actually, it was all like within a day as I was following it on text message while mm-hmm. flying across the country. Um, so uh, everybody, send your well wishes to Joe. Uh, he's, he's a good man. Uh, he's decided to prioritize family over, uh, multimedia glory. And so he can't be with here with us here tonight. And the result is that, uh, for the first time ever, um, all of the participants of a Savage Beast podcast are actually in the same physical room with each other, uh, all at once. So monumental. Yeah. It's really fun. Um, Alex Parisi, you may remember from our previous episode on emo. He is an expert on that, and we're going to have another subject on which he's an expert to talk about tonight. Uh, but first, um, Alex, like me, uh, is also an expert on having children. So I don't know. Do you have any advice for Joe, Alex? Oh, yes. Plenty of advice. <laughs> uh, I mean, ha- raising kids is uh, the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had kids very young, had no idea what I was doing, but instincts kicked in. I noticed when. Uh, I think by the time you were 13, you had the hang of raising the children. Yeah, so yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> and then eventually, the, the older they, they get, you know, they, they start raising themselves. Uh, uh, but first year, you probably can attest to this, first year of having a kid, uh, it's basically all about the mom. Oh, yeah. Like, the kid does no idea who you are at that point. Uh, fathers are pretty pretty useless for the first year besides just supporting mom. Yeah. Being there. You're, up. you're filling in on some chores whenever you can, you right. know, f- changing diapers, but in the shoving ba- food in the mouth. But in the baby's life, yeah, you're just gonna have to take a back seat. They don't just give a be shit. There. Yeah, you're just a somebody who you're just a roommate who mm-hmm. happens to be there as well. Uh, but get through that stage, uh, and it's uh, actually a lot of fun uh, when they get older. And every every stage, they're going through the twos, threes. Uh, uh, there's a lot of fun that you can have, uh, and I, I, you know. My my kids are great. Uh, I don't impose too much of my myself on them. Just let them be who they are. And as someone told me, just let the kids just let them be. That's all they want to do. Mm-hmm. From the moment they're they're born, they just want to whatever you're doing. They want to be included. Mm-hmm. You know, just just in, in, invite them in, but be be who you are. Be your own person. Uh, don't be one of those parents who uh, you know dictates uh, you know everything for them. And just, you know that that's my advice. All right. That was surprisingly sincere mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and also good. Uh, that is uh, totally true. Don't try to be anything super. Uh, don't try to be your idea of the perfect dad. And don't try to make them into your idea of the perfect kid. Um, I will note that even with this advice, they will be total dicks to you from the ages of three to five, nonetheless, um, at least in my experience. And be dicks back to them. Yeah. I'll catch you off guard. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you do just, you know, you, 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 you say, what the hell is wrong with you? And, um, that's just how it has to be. Oh, I, can I tell a story about what my son threatened me with the other day? I would love to hear this story. Okay. So my son, who's mm-hmm. named Salvatore, we call him Sonny. Mm-hmm. He threatened me with, uh, he told me he was going to spank me. <laughs> now I probably spanked him probably 
I don't know, less than a handful of times. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's not a common thing. But he said, Dad, I'm going to spank you, but I'm going to take off pants and underwear and spank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I threw it right back at him. I said, Sonny, why do you have to take off your pants and your underwear to spank me? Why is that a necessary <laughs> step in order to do this? And he fucking laughed so hard. He thought that was the funniest thing he's ever heard. <laughs> totally, totally uh, relieved the tension of uh, really yeah. serious threat that he was uh, pushing <laughs> me with. So I got to work on the, you know, him respecting his father a little bit more. Now, that's, these are these are the post-millennial kids. Um, the I figure they can only get more insouciant less susciant maybe mm-hmm. um than we are uh, as time goes by so we're just we're just boned there's no such thing as parental respect uh parental love is the best you can go for i think um love so. can accomplish all <laughs> anyway um <laughs> uh good move uh nudity always plays really well with the uh with the preteen audience um mm-hmm. gavin there's no surer way to get him to sort of like giggle for two minutes straight than to um, make some sort of joke about butts or something. Um, Farts. It's yeah. It's always going to be funny. Awesome. Uh, Rowan, he's five. Any PP jokes he's all about. Um, so yeah, that's been the Savage Beast Pan- Parenting Hour, which will be every uh, episode now that we all have children on this show. Um, so uh, yeah. The other thing, uh, one of the other things we wanted to talk about was uh, a band Alex brought to my attention called Hoops. So um, let's play a track from them. And then Alex, why don't you introduce the concept of Hoops to us? Got it. by hoops from their forthcoming album routines so uh alex what what made you think that was uh your choice to talk about music wise uh on this episode well i think for once we got to get ahead of what's going to be yeah. something we are, are going to be talking about in six months of a band that i think most people don't know i had never heard of them okay pitchfork has not yet done mm-hmm. a review yeah so for once, we're getting ahead of the curve. Uh, I, I found Hoops uh, on Spotify. Uh, the name popped out at me as a rec- you know, as recommended music, music and um, loved it right away. But I fell in love with the band name right away, too. Uh, I can't believe you know that was actually available as a name, that there wasn't any other 
band called Hoops. That's yeah. probably my favorite band name um, <laughs> ever. Uh, wait, wait, explain that. What do you like so much about the band name Hoops? Because um, it seems to me it's sort of like... I guess there are a lot of uh, connota- meanings it could have. You could be mm-hmm. talking about the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. You could be talking about the things you have to jump through mm-hmm. to do something else. I, th- um, I think basketball. Okay. Yeah. And maybe it's like I love it when different cultures come together. Like I love sports, love music when, when yeah. the two are together in a, in a nice artistic way. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I also- will note they've made the mistake like tennis um, and uh, what's another one? American football. No, nah, that yeah. one's a little bad. Um, also, a band call- I heard about today called Temples of choosing a common noun as their band name with no clever misspelling of any kind, which means that anytime anybody searched for this for them, they have to type in hoops band, Mm -hmm. Um, which already right there, that's actually, maybe that's what they were going for because I just realized there's a little wordplay there because a hoop and a band can actually be the same thing. Oh, Oh, that's pretty, yeah. Very observant (laughs) on that one. (laughs) Well, it's entirely possible. That's the joke. (laughs) That and right <laughs> so, I, I, very I like clever, it because I'm sh- I'm enjoying it. <laughs> short one word. Let's go see some hoops. Shoot yeah. some hoops. I don't. It, it's just it's it sounds it's good coming off the tongue. Uh, I sent it to my brother right away because for once I wanted to get ahead of something that he hasn't yet discovered. Mm-hmm. Not only had he discovered that he was like I already had sex with them. It's not pretty really, much. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to name a music project that he had hoops. Oh. He looked it up and he's like, "Fuck, there's this band called Hoops." But then he turns out. They were awesome, and then he uh, saw them uh, actually play uh, that week, and I got to know them since. But uh, they got big uh, off of YouTube, actually. They were just putting their music on YouTube, recording off of tape machines, um, and and just embracing just the lo-fi technology that they had just, you know, from recording in their living room. Mm. Uh, But the music was still really complex, really layered, Mm -hmm. atmospheric, kind of different than what you get from different uh, lo-fi sounds um yeah you probably have yeah i thought so i really liked the um uh really good guitar playing actually um like Mm -hmm. like very clever guitar melodies um sort of like uh this is what i always do and i guess everybody does this um but uh sort of a mix between like mac demarco and like washed out or something mm-hmm. is a little bit how i would phrase it yeah, the vocals sound a lot like washed out to mm-hmm. me which i listened to their live ep in prep for this and i think the reason the vocals sound like that is that the guy can't really sing that well which is fine there are lots of bands so yeah. they can't really mm-hmm. sing that well but there's multiple singers too and they oh, harmonize really? together and yeah. well in the studio they actually make a nice effect out of it um yeah and the guitar uh you know um I should learn what the name of the effect is that makes the guitar sound sort of watery like that. It's like either a flanger or something. Mm-hmm. Um, your brother could tell us. Um, but uh, um, so the guitar has that sort of little thing going on. And just, um, you know, there's even like a good solo in the song. And it's only like two and a half minutes long. It's a it's a really <sighs> clever song. As soon as I put it on for the first time, I was like, oh. All right. Yeah. This is good. I'm glad Alex picked this. this every is, track, this is every track on their EP that came out, uh, I think in August, uh, yeah, th- last year, uh, and and I was hoping this album that th- that we've been waiting for would come out sooner, but it's uh, it'll be in May. Mm-hmm. Every track on that EP uh, is just so great. Uh, my favorite track is uh, Gemini, which is the last one, which is you know I get, I get the vibe of you know um, 
Beach Boys Pet Sounds for sure. It's mm. just like this beautiful melody uh, at the end that just kind of erupts. Uh, and I, I know what we can expect from this next album, you know, from this one track. They said they're they're now at the stage of being medium fi, not quite low fi. <laughs> no, I definitely noticed fi. going from this single to the EP. Right. The the clarity of the recording has definitely improved in a way that I found um, salutary. Like this, it and, sounded a lot. And better. I like that too because lo-fi, it's 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 a nice trick, mm-hmm. but you should embrace the tools that you have. And, and they they use them well when they do clean it up a little right. bit. Right. So and as any good artist does. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to this album. I'm sure we'll be talking about it again in May, um, or I, at least I hope. Um, but I think this is going to be a band that everyone should keep their eye on and, and ears on to because um, yeah. it's really, really good. Every song that they've put out has been uh, really nice. So. Yeah. Our uh, Indiana following should um, go check them out. because A lot of good bands Bloomington. in Indiana. <laughs> Bloomington. <laughs> Who, what's another good Indiana band? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, there must be some. I just they, don't know. Yeah. Well, remember uh, that guy we met at a conference before uh, – who, who, who was from Fort Wayne and he gave us all these great bands. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't remember any of the bands. He said. Yeah. <laughs> one called Maserati, which is a nice uh, electronic uh, artist. Uh, another one, Gray Gordon, kind of this emo. Did you like write these down when he was talking? No, I remember. Cause I was I, drunk. I, sa- I saved a lot of them. <laughs> well, cause as he was, uh, cause he sent me an email and sent me all these list of band names and uh, a lot of good music comes from Indiana. Oh, okay. Um, which, Who's the most famous musician? I guess Michael Jackson. That's the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I'd even Easy. Done. <laughs> Actually, the most famous musician is from Indiana. And, and, and maybe, you know, Indiana is known as, you know, the good basketball. So maybe yeah. hoops. Yeah. That's yeah. A, yeah. It makes okay. sense. Okay. Hoosiers, hoops. Uh, I still like to think it was an SEO joke uh, because that's my job. Um, all right. Uh, cool. So, um, uh, we've gone through a number of Alex's realms of expertise so far here. Uh, like I said, on a previous episode, we did emo. Uh, we've talked about, uh, parenting. I don't want to say I'm an expert at emo. Let's just be clear. I, I've been getting <laughs> a lot of shit from that, from friends who uh, have listened to that episode. Really? I, they, gave you, they made fun of you for that? Oh yeah. My brother <laughs> wanted to write you guys a, a angry letter of, uh, uh, you know, some hate mail based on that. Wait, he wrote uh, that to us? You said he was going to. Oh, it's possible it's somewhere in the Savage Beast Pod. Gmail. I mean, that's 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 what emo you know does to people. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm just I'm just a big fan. Um, does your brother hate emo? He was criticizing me. He says, you know, the music you picked out is actually pretty good rock. He says emo is supposed to make you feel cringe, you know, cringeworthy. Oh, okay. It's it, it, it was it sad. Yeah, it wasn't sappy outcast. enough. Right. I see. Well, you did pick good music, and uh, I guess uh, I'll take the Alex sub- subgenre of emo as uh, a good thing. Um, uh, Eric, please send us that angry email if you haven't, and if you have, I'm sorry. We'll uh, we'll read it on air next time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, um, I'm sure your brother listens to all these. Anyway, uh, he'll listen to this one, I guess, because you're on it. Um, I guess we'll take a break now real quick just to exhort. Uh, that's the word I used last time. Dang it. And I've repeated myself. Anyway, to encourage everybody to uh, uh, follow us on uh, Twitter at Savage Beast Pod. Although, actually, my favorite uh, Twitter personality in my personal account just quit Twitter today. So 
I don't know. The medium might be actually dying for one. Finally. Um, anyway, we're still there at Savage Beast Pod uh, on Twitter. Um, we, you can also email us savagebeastpod at gmail.com. Our website is savagebeastpod.com. So that's where you can find all kinds of information. Particularly for this episode, we'll put up a page with links to all the stuff we're going to talk about because it will be difficult to get the full effect just from listening to us. And so you'll want to go there. Um, in fact, I'm just going to go ahead now and say that we will put this up at Savage Beast Pod slash um, Alex Art. We'll put it there. All right. Okay. Um, and um, then uh, also we'll uh we encourage you please to subscribe and rate and review on itunes which are always that algorithmically uh increase our empire so um uh it would be great if you did that anyway thank you very much and now uh we're going to turn to alex's uh one remaining area of expertise that i know about anyway um which is design um, Alex is a professional graphic designer. Your title is, in fact, art director? Cr- creative director. Creative director. That's better than art director for those of you who don't understand how these um, arcane uh, ranks within the design world go. I hate the title, too. Oh, really? What would you prefer to be? Design director? Uh-huh. Visual director? I, I don't know. Experience the, 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 I mean, director? You, maybe. <laughs> well, I've got a funny story to tell you about uh, that off air. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh no. Uh, I can uh, I know what you, you probably know what it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean these are archaic, you know, industry standard terms, but it's from back when people were like drawing shit um, yeah, maybe or it's pencils like, it, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, creative director it assumes that all creativity starts and stops with with you. Can one even direct creativity? I ask. Right. And and and, and sh- is does that mean everyone else in the office is not creative? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, no, a lot of not. them aren't, All but them. to clients, to people who are in the industry, it's, uh, an important title, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're working within a team of people and it sets a standard for that. So I can appreciate that and I embrace that part of it. Um, but, uh, yeah. Do you I want still... do you want to plug your place of business just in case anybody needs some design services? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I work at a, at a agency. We do branding and web design uh, called Sonder agency. S O N D E R. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we, we do great work. I think, um, we have a great design team, great marketing people. Uh, uh it, it, it was a, a opportunity I, I, um, went after a year ago, um, uh, just to pursue my dream of just designing brands and, uh, you know, creating good, um, uh, visual communication and uh, experiences for people. So, uh, yeah. So, so if hell yeah, whatever, whatever, uh, <laughs> business you're in, uh, we, we can do it, but not that I'm in, uh, expecting any business from this podcast. <laughs> if you get some, that'd be awesome. Uh, we take a 15% commission. Um, anyway, uh, cool. So we're going to talk about, uh, album art, which is one, aspect of the music experience that a is almost dead and b um uh we've never actually spoken about really on here uh and it's a shame that it's sort of dying in the digital age just by virtue of um the way digital stuff works most people listen to stuff on their phone while the phone is in the pocket you've got it on shuffle you might occasionally open it up to tell spotify that the song sucks 
and you want to move on to another one, and that's the only time you'll actually see the art was when you don't like a song. I, I <laughs> might I might disagree though. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, print is definitely dying. Yeah. Well, except for I guess the the counterpoint to all this is the revival of vinyl. The yeah. fact that music is so cheap and freely available mm-hmm. in digital formats now, when people really love something, they'll go ahead and buy the full blowout package. The process of consuming music has definitely changed. I mean, I remember going through the record store a lot and just picking up the actual packages Mm -hmm. of the CD artwork and going, flipping through it and listening to it within store. Much different experience what we have now, but I wouldn't say one is better than the other, but Oh, it's better now. <laughs> well, well, yes. I like being able to Fi- just finding listen music. to music immediately. Absolutely. It's incredible. <laughs> but, you know, even through the Spotify browser, uh, album artwork is still important. You yeah, know, it, it does matter. You know, it does. It, you know, the, the cover, you know, not that it needs to stand out, but something that's interesting, something that's different. Uh, I do always look at it, I will say. Yeah. And, and, the I thing mean, is now it's just like two postage stamp size on my screen. Um, sure. Whereas, you know, once it was the, the, the LP size thing. Um, but like I said, people still get that when they really like it. Mm-hmm. But visual communication, visual artwork has always been a part of, of music itself. Sure. Uh, it, I, I think, it, it, you know, it enhances the whole experience of it. Um, it, it you can't think of any band or musician now and not think of the artwork and design that goes with it. Yes. I would uh, agree with that. You know, it, it, so it's never just the audio experience. Uh, it, 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 you know, music is a multi-sensory experience. Uh, even when you go to a show now, which I think a lot more bands are putting more effort into it being a multi-sensory experience. You know, I, mm-hmm. I you know, I saw, uh, you know, Tycho, uh, probably a couple years ago, mm-hmm. video playing, throughout the whole show and it's synced with the, you know, with the drum beat and the guitars. And it's like a full on production where, uh, even the members who aren't playing music, who are, you know, creating the artwork, creating the visual, uh, they're just as much a part of the band mm-hmm. and the artistic, you know, endeavor that's going on as much as the musicians who are playing it. And I think a lot of the work that, you know, we're probably going to discuss now, you know, work from storm, uh, Th- Thorgensen from, uh, Stanley Donwood. Don um, and others, uh, they're just as much a part of Pink Floyd, Radiohead, as yeah, you know, uh, just the musicians themselves. Absolutely. Have I ever told you my idea for uh, a cool live music presentation? No. <laughs> this would, probably nobody would ever do this. Okay. <laughs> but my idea is everybody has a phone now, mm-hmm. so uh, you put the visual component of your show as uh basically an app mm-hmm. uh or just something that you can uh that people can download on the spot and then you have some sort of software on a central server in the club in the venue that uh you know sends out a synchronized signal to everybody who's signed up to get it within the area mm-hmm. so then everybody this would be best best for electronic musicians where all they're doing is sitting there like fiddling with knobs and stuff sure. anyway um uh, with rock bands, you'd be better off just watching the band. But um, then you could have like you could do cool things uh, with some sort of video presentation on the phone that would sync with the music or whatever. And then so you'd have like everybody in the crowd looking at their phones. Now maybe this is like the dumbest idea ever because now just it's you, worth a try. You've taken people 
at the one thing they do where they're not looking at their phone and you've put the phone back in front of their face. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and embrace that, you yeah. know, that obstruction that everyone gets upset about. It's like, no, put your phones away. Yeah. Which I, you know, I do get upset when people are recording shows. It's annoying because it gets in the way of the people behind you, you know. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and I mean, I'm always looking at what they're recording through the phone. Like, is, yeah. it, is this going to sound good? Is this going to no. be you getting 30, 30 sound- seconds of this to post on? That's my main thing is like, are you ever going to, are you just like going to go back to that video and be like, oh, remember, this was so awesome. I'm going to hear this blown out tinny version of uh, like just the worst live recording possible. Right. And look at this shaky, dark video from me, like moving it around in a big crowd. Like, I, I don't think anybody looks at those videos. I, now I've never taken one of them, We're so I can too say too much shit on the internet. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, uh, maybe you could do something cool to make it communal, like use some sort of proximity sensors for phones, so when people are like doing something next to each other with this multimedia presentation, there could be added. Uh, uh, effects or something. It could be cool. What band would do that though? Like I said, it's an it's an electronic music thing, and there are lots of cool electronic yeah. artists who would do it. Like lots of them. Um, uh, you know, maybe Tycho, um, who who could take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not it's not much different from making a video that plays on the um, screen behind you, mm-hmm. um, except for maybe this twist of potentially adding proximity to it. Anyway, that's a whole other startup idea. Uh, Come at me if you want to implement that, um, because you need me. Um, <laughs> I think they got the idea now. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I agree with you. Um, album art has always been very fascinating to me. What's funny is, like, you know, growing up in the '90s, um, vinyl was dead, like, like yeah. thoroughly dead in the '90s. Um, so I thought, but I was super into CD artwork. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, when Me they too. started releasing CDs with the fully clear jewel case instead mm-hmm. of the black uh, yes. thing behind the CD. That was a big deal. Yeah. So that was a whole other surface, the size of the case that could have art on it now. Mm-hmm. Um, much cooler. Um, although I will note that the clear uh, things there were much more uh, shatter prone, but um uh, that's that's mm-hmm. one of the funny things about C- the CD era is we had all our music in these really shitty cases that just broke all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the vinyl that our parents bought in the 70s, has uh, the, the gatefold cases have lasted way better than all the CDs we bought in the 90s. Yeah, just the paper the fold. Yeah, much better. Yeah. Funny. Um, even, even scuffed up, they look better. Um, anyway, uh, so I was super into it. But it's funny because I had no conception of the fact that this artwork I was looking at was minuscule compared to the presentation you used to get with vinyl and everything. Um, mm-hmm. So now when you do have vinyl having a little bit of a sort of resurgence, because people want to support at least their favorite music by getting a cool physical artifact. Um, uh, it's, it's cool to see now like, like, you know, a really uh, a coffee table sized thing, a coffee table book right. sized thing that um can really present the visual uh, it's more inviting to interact with and touch and yeah i mean we're we're, we're absolutely touching this uh yeah we've got the three most recent radiohead vinyls from in rainbows on uh on the desk here uh because i already owned them and then alex suggested we talk about uh stanley donwood so i grabbed him yeah Uh well what, what impressed me about like just you know the in rainbows package the uh and i think this this one that you we have we're holding right now the uh, moon shape pool album mm-hmm. this is just like 
you know, spare no expense on this. Yeah. On the, well, like, it costs okay. fucking $80, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I mean, Radiohead is just one of those bands that just, there's no business decision with this. I mean, everything is just like go, you know, you use multiple paper types. Uh, you yeah. use, you know, uh, this is all stuff that in my industry that if I were to uh, convince a client to do this, uh, they, they would just. Be, you couldn't convince the client to do this is what you're saying or well just in the attempt to they, they would their jaw would drop with just the, the cost that it would, it would yeah. take to do um you know to do uh fo- foil uh you know silver foil lettering on the cover to do uh <laughs> you know po- pocket sleeves to do paper that's that's you know this thick and then yeah th- and then the paper texture changes to something more cloth like um and then you got like you know, just, just it's just an incredible, this you know, printing production dis, uh, display that you're interacting with here. Yeah. I guess this is for like not the casual fan, but this adds something to the experience that makes Radiohead. They've been doing this for for you know over 20 years now. This type of presentation with their music, yeah. and it certainly adds. Well, this level of music. vinyl started within Rainbows in 2007. They mm-hmm. had really cool CD artwork. I wanted to get out my. Um, Amnesiac Special Edition, which is like just a small little red book. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't find it. Um, it's I have it. Anyway, uh, but yeah, once they started doing this, that's, I mean, I've spent more money on these last three Radiohead albums than, um, you know, any five other bands' music that I could. <laughs> 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 well, and, you know, I did buy the, the Hoops, uh, you know, EP on vinyl, too. And Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. And, and it, 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 it's, it's, you know, this doesn't have, like, any booklet. It's just a single yeah. sleeve. But even that is just just the, the textures that you see from, you know, the designer. I think it's the same designer who's working on all their stuff. Maybe it's somebody in the band. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but they seem to be developing a theme with what they're doing with this, uh, you know, look that looks like it's been processed through a, uh, a copy machine a, a few times, then mm. blown up and then put a monochrome of whatever color over it, which is some cutout shapes that are just, you know, it's kind of silly looking, but you know, they're, they're acting with consistency and some intelligence, and they're kind of building a brand and a theme that when you see a cover, um, you know you know it's you know it's them. And yeah. Are, and they don't even have an album yet, and they're already doing that. Um, you know, Radiohead has been doing the same thing for you know for, yeah. for, for years. But and and really because they have a guy, this um, uh, Stanley Stanley Donwood, mm-hmm. who is friends with the band, who tours with the band, who's really a, a part of the band. And just like their producer, certainly in that aspect. What's, that a pr- aspect what's their producer's of, name? Who's uh, Nigel Godrich? Yeah, yeah, and he's considered like the the sixth Radiohead member. Yeah. Okay, Stanley Donwood is the seventh. In my <laughs> opinion. Uh, certainly, yeah, he's heavily involved. He and Tom do all the artwork. I don't know where the line is drawn between them. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he's he's been with doing stuff for the band at least since OK Computer. I should know whether he did the bins as well, but. Uh, uh, OK Computer, when I was a kid, was one of my favorite bits of album artwork ever. Yeah. In fact, I had, um, uh, because my mother broke all my CDs uh, of devil music when I was in high school, um, <laughs> I, I was able to save a lot of the artwork. So when I rebought OK Computer, I had an extra copy of the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually took the the spare booklet uh, apart and like cut up the pages and like hung them in my dorm room and stuff because oh they were that cool. Um but that was one of those, uh, 
like okay with okay computer like the artwork just matches the album so perfectly like the mm-hmm. um the sort of uh uh post modern um uh really sort of it's funny that this, an album as bummed out as okay computer came out at like the high point of western civilization um but uh anyway that sort of uh total um uh, dysphoria about one's uh, uh, situation. Uh, it was matched in the music. Was matched really well by the artwork that combined um, sort of uh, uh, very um, messy, uh, very uh, sort of strange collagey type artwork, um, along with a lot of sort of safety manual uh, graphics and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that just really captured what they were doing with the music almost perfectly. Uh, and it's been more and more of that ever since with uh, Donwood and Chalk as they credit themselves on the album liner notes. And, and that album artwork, OK Computer, and I, I would say Kid A too, are pretty similar with just the, the layered, um, you know, illust- mm-hmm. like there, there's like these technical illustrations on top of photographs, on top of scribbles, on top of paintings. And this is a fact that you can, you know, pretty easily do in Photoshop. Yeah, uh, you can on- see on the OK Computer one, like where he used like the the burn or dodge tool or whatever it is to like just yeah. draw by hand over photos or right and, was and he did yeah. that intentionally you know to kind of see the, yeah, the, exactly. the artist with that and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with using photoshop for that as long as there's like a good conceptual reason for you know for it yeah uh, but this is a style that's been copied so many times like th- mm-hmm. this this was so influential and just uh you know just the uh, uh you know other rock uh, genres that came out and bands that came out in the in the early aughts mm-hmm. uh you know it's all the uh you know all the emo bands i listened to back they had had just like machinery and things like <laughs> textured over it and, and and illustrations and that that was like a style that uh you know when i was younger um that was my contribution to to bands and music you know i wasn't mm. a musician at all and that was you know music was the thing that got me into design and got me into art um but uh and and, and so the artwork that I did was 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 using Photoshop and trying to get that that same the same look that OK Computer had. Um, what was lost in there was a lot of the conceptual components. I didn't listen to any of the lyrics of what, <laughs> what, what my friends did, uh, and 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 the the artwork was pretty shitty. But you know, uh, to be fair, uh, probably the music was too. So, uh, just looking back, hey, uh, that's what they would say as well. Um, but yeah. It, 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 it's really influential, but this is something that nobody was doing at the time. And I think maybe the music inspired the art and the art inspired the music. And they had a relationship uh, that went both ways, um, you know, with that. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if like the best album artwork is artwork that um, matches the music. Cause I think that, I mean, it's, it's very subjective, but I think it's something that uh, adds something to the music and even elevates it to, uh, to where you see the artwork, you listen to the music uh, or whatever, a lot of times you, you, you listen to music and then you see an artwork with it and it, and it gives you a different perception of, you know, what that band does and what, you know, what the music is. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the highest level. You can certainly have great album artwork where it doesn't match the music at all. And yeah. that's cool. You got some good music and some good artwork. Would you like Radiohead as much as if like the cover was just like a picture of, of the band members on the cover and like something from, I mean, that's a really hard question to answer. Um, 
it's definitely true that with Radiohead especially, the visual aesthetic is such a part of the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you have with Kid A and Amnesiac, they had on day one two different versions of the album you could buy um, because they had standard artwork and then special edition artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just tells you how seriously they took it. Um, but uh, so, and that being the case, it's a little bit difficult to tease them apart um i there's no question i would still love their music but uh you know the images do go through my head when i listen to it it. wouldn't be as cool yeah like with the moon-shaped pool the most recent one the the sort of uh splotchy um uh, microscope looking at chemicals type of look uh Mm -hmm. of the things definitely informs the mood i get out of the album Mm -hmm. um now uh, could other art have gone along with the album? Surely. They're literally infinite yeah. <laughs> images you could create. And, th- uh, and that's the thing. There's no, like when yeah. you're a band, like you could literally do anything you want to do. Literally, as long as it can be printed. <laughs> right. And, and you know, album artwork, it's not, you don't really need a designer for it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like e- e- and I discovered that like early on, like that I wasn't like the st- a strong enough visual designer to get across like uh, the work I wanted to do. Um, so I embraced like, you know, a, a relate like design where, where you design for a, you know, a client and it's more, you know, corporate, it's more clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, it, there's still artistry with it, but that's something I, I still want to tap into or just with my own personal uh, work as I get older is just trying to, trying to uh, get the most out of just, uh, you know, producing like just good art. Yeah. Um, but, I want you to do that too. Alex. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get we'll get there. But I thought I was there when I was younger, like wanting to do you know art that you know inspired that was, was whatever I wanted. Then I discovered that like not only was uh, it not very good, but it wasn't really uh, it, it it wasn't like to do artwork for a band uh, and think that there's some I'm adding some value to it mm-hmm. from from just you know me wanting to be an artist um, wasn't wasn't really you know. Uh, wasn't really accomplishing the goal that I had in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for, for a band, like, like if, if I encourage any band who's, you know, creating artwork or, or, you know, thinking about a cover to do, I would say do it yourself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and if anything, like have a relationship with somebody else who, who might know what they're doing, uh, you know, just w- with the production of it, uh, because you can literally do anything and there's no wrong decision as long as it's smart as long as you act with some consistency, as long as, you know, it doesn't even have to be beautiful. Even, you know, some of the best album covers are not that pretty to look at or not that, but, but there's something, is there an example you have in mind of that? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, animal collective. Okay. Which one in particular? The one that's like that, uh, it's like that visual, it's like that, uh, optical illusion. Uh, oh, Meriwether Post Pavilion. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That one, I actually don't get the illusion out of that one. I know it's supposed, I can tell it's supposed to be one. Maybe I have oh, a look I see. close Oh, I see. It goes enough. crazy. Uh, really? I just look at it and it doesn't do anything to me. But I've only seen it digitally, I think, maybe. The, I'm looking at it right now. It's definitely doing it for me digitally, just like kind of moving it around. That's not... A little bit, yeah. That's maybe. not a pretty thing to look at. Uh no, it's it's very hard. On yeah. your eyes, in fact, and do they do that because it stands out? I mean, they're appropriating like a this visual trick, and they're just kind of putting their own colors on it. Uh huh. Um, 
you know, it's, it's not even unique to them, but they're, but there's an, a reason why they're using that. Um, yeah. That, know. that sort of idea of an optical illusion, their music is sort of like an, uh, an audio illusion. Sometimes it feels like, so mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the artwork for their most recent album, which the album wasn't particularly great, but the artwork is sort of interesting. It's all the band members with like, like their portraits and then like half the faces abstracted in a way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's sort of interesting if you haven't seen it. Um, and I, well, well, one thing I, I do like about it is the, their name isn't even on it. Yeah. Oh, really? On yeah. Mary the Post Pavilion? Yeah. No, oh, that's funny. <laughs> and it, 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 it begs a question, like, do you even need your band name on the cover? Not nowadays, because again, everybody's just gonna uh, see it on the phone, play it off of Spotify, right? <laughs> so they already typed it in to right. get to it. <laughs> I think that's one thing that bands don't do enough of. Like my favorite album covers, the ones that speak to me, don't don't have any typography on it whatsoever, and I don't think you need it. That's a good point. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of one I know of. I mean, I guess these Radiohead ones we're looking at are like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, that uh, I certainly agree that in principle, uh, yeah, why clutter it up with uh, a commercial announcement nowadays when nobody's flipping through a cabinet to find yeah. it really? Now, I still do album artwork. You know, there's some people that come to me uh, for it from time to time. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, options I give them, I always try to give them one option or at least I try to push them in a way that doesn't have any text on it. That's just an image. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, you did Run Boy Run, I believe, a local Tucson band. Yeah, and and uh, Run Boy One was you know, they always came to me, uh, not because they needed something um, uh, created new. They always had an illustrator to help them out. Uh-huh. They always had a good photographer. Um, they always came to me to lay out an album cover that had um, a, the, their picture on it. Yeah, a, a picture of the band. Um, so it all I did was really just kind of orchestrate illustration photography i didn't really actually create anything that was on the cover itself but just try to arrange everything in a way that well that's um, a big part of design yeah it's a big part of design (laughs) but it's not like it's 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 not there's no fine art to it you know it's not um you know but there is a lot of craft you know there's definitely like i've seen some shit we've all seen some shit graphic design in our times and it's bad uh Mm -hmm. Uh, there are some really awful album color co- covers out there. Uh, I believe Pitchfork does a top twenty worst album covers every year, and they're, yeah. they're always terrible. Um. They're always <laughs> terrible, but then there's some that you that of good bands that you would listen. You know. Oh yeah, uh, the worst album cover. When I think of bad album covers, the one that comes to mind for me is um, uh, Butthole Surfers, uh, Electric Larry Land. I believe is the t- title of the album. The <laughs> yes. one with Pepper on it. The the song oh that everybody is yeah that is that that album cover pisses me off actually just looking at it <laughs> because but, it's like it's ugly it's poorly done and it's grotesque all at once and on the one hand i'm sure that's some sort of like punk art statement on the other hand uh fuck you that looks like shit <laughs> and then at the same time uh does that affect your the listenability of buttholes? Kind of, actually. Yeah, you think about that? <laughs> Slightly. Um, but, I mean, butthole surfers wouldn't have it any other way, would they? No. Um, they used to pee on each other on stage, so. Um, and, you know, that's not even the most offensive cover. I'm sure they're worse. <laughs> there well, must be. I, 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 
I got one that we. That there we, must be one that's just diarrhea uh, or something. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so so you know, we talked a lot about Christian music, uh-huh. you know, or, early on, you know, and both both you and I have kind of similar roots in that. Yeah. Um, but I sent you a cover. Uh, yeah. From the band Striper. I don't think I had seen this cover before. Uh, well, this might have been redone. This was their first album. Okay. So oh, really? So this is like early 80s or late 70s or yeah. something? So if those of you don't know, I'm sure most people have heard of Striper. Yeah, who did have a big crossover hit with Honestly back in the 80s. Okay. They, they rode the hair metal wave because they were a hair metal band mm-hmm. to power ballad fame. If, you, if you're watching the infomercials late at night when they start giving you 10 straight minutes of power ballads that are yeah. collected now together on whatever, whoever, Life Magazine, like that's what Life Magazine now is, is a pe- mm-hmm. thing who sells you five CD sets of shitty songs from your youth. Uh, anyway, Striper is not only on that collection, but they get played during the ad uh, with Honestly. Um, so anyway, everybody of a certain age probably has at least heard that song. Yeah. Striper is like the first Christian rock band. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, they're not the first, but they're they're the first that like intentionally were like trying to like reach, you know, their culture, reach their world for, like, for for their like ministry purposes. They're an early one for sure. I right. think Petra is usually canonized as the okay. first one, and, um, they, and they, I'm sure, were buddies. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, that I will give Striper this: they lived into the image like hard. Like there is a yeah. lot of feathered hair. In the Striper uh, album art uh, catalog. Now, Striper, you know, just beyond his album artwork, they had an interesting brand. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they picked the name Striper. Yeah. Because uh, they reference Isaiah 53.5, which Mm -hmm. cites that by his stripes we are healed. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't spell Striper with an I because then it would be stripper. Yeah. (laughs) So they added a Y to it. It would just look like (laughs) some sort of white trash moron tried to put stripper as the title. (laughs) (laughs) It's pronounced Striper. (laughs) So, of course, the T is a cross in their logo. Uh Uh-huh. And they, for some reason, pick uh, yellow and black stripes. I know. I don't. They, I, it's like you made yourself look like bees. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, they're just bumblebees. <laughs> but they've maintained that, you know, that design pattern. They uh, they they dress in in yellow and black on stage uh-huh. when when they were playing. All their album covers were yellow and black. And uh, I think it actually helped them with their with their brand that they were putting out. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, because. You know, uh, back in back in the day, there wasn't a lot of consistency with like the, uh, you know, this the work that a lot of sure. these bands. I mean, a lot of them had a logo, but you know, Stripe, this is like this is like inspired Jack White. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, dude, I I would agree. Like, and and what's funny is like they when they uh, when they abandon the the black and white attack. Black and ye- yellow. Yeah, 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 yellow and black attack. Is that the actual name of the album? The That's the name of this album. Okay, wow. So from the start, they had the, the Yeah, we branding. are yellow and black, uh-huh. and this is what we're about. Yeah. Um, when they abandoned the, those stripes, uh, they lost all their fans. <laughs> so. Also, also, power ballad hair metal went out of fashion. but <laughs> hey, they, they, they could have stuck with it. But this, this album cover is so offensive. <laughs> from a graphic design standpoint it, i actually like the design okay uh, i mean it's it's really quirky and weird it's painted uh-huh. but uh i i mean nowadays this is a pretty offensive one so 
just to the draw it. So it's planet, oh. it's planet Earth uh-huh. spinning in, in space. Striper, the, you know, the, the band name Striper is above it. Uh-huh. And below is the hand of God pointing at Earth. Uh-huh. It could be the Silver Surfer. Could be the Silver Surfer. <laughs> but it's the hand of God pointing at Earth. And uh-huh. there's four missiles yeah. headed towards Earth. Uh-huh. The missiles have uh, seven seven seven. Yeah, what does MS seven 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 mean? So uh, I think I've, I'm guessing all those are the band. Like each one of the each one of the missiles represents a yes. Because MS is the lead singer. His name is Michael S- something. Yeah. RS is his brother. I think it was Robert something. And each missile has their n- initials and seven seven seven. Because okay. The devil is six six six, so we one up oh, him with seven. And seven, seven is seven. a holy number. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So they're bombing the world. Uh huh. For God. For God. God's yeah. telling them, get them. Yeah. Bomb them. The flood two point comes in so high explosive format. So this is like format. a very punk rock <laughs> album. Like this is like a totally us against the world. Totally like let's get them, and we we're a Christian hair metal band we're throw bibles on stage we are so <laughs> hardcore we're gonna bomb you for the lord yeah and and like so it, it, the thing with striper too is they were trying to reach the world but uh-huh. a lot of their fight was not against the world it was against the church people yes. who said you can't be a rock star and yeah said, yes we can <laughs> not no. only that we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to put weaponized <laughs> missiles bombing the world on behalf of God on our thing, on, on our album. And this is, if this came out today, like, holy crap. <laughs> if this came out today, I think people would take it as some sort of uh, avant-garde art, like, 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 you know, intentionally bad retro art. Say, mm-hmm. but, but just conceptually. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> like in the age of terrorism, in the age of ISIS and religious-based yeah. uh, violence. Like, That's a good point, actually. I wasn't thinking about it that way. Uh, Christians can't be terrorists, as we know. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Of course not. <laughs> um, the uh, the 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 pro- possibly blasphemous depiction of God's hand is uh, a nice touch, I have to say. Um, you know, I have never listened to this album. I've really only listened to "To Hell with the Devil," the one that had their big hit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is hair metal through and through. Uh, so I should go back and see what early Striper sounded like just to just to find out. Yeah, I you know I got I got some friends of mine who are big Striper fans. <laughs> uh, you know they've see, seen them live. It's, they're still playing uh, even, even now, but uh, I, I think they're pretty good for hair metal. Uh, they, they they got some songs that hold up. You know they they shred pretty well, but they do they could shred. There's no question. When in when I discovered them. You know, like seven years after their heyday, I was I was into it, and then I discovered like actual alternative mm-hmm. rock. But they, but bes- if it was just the music with them, they would probably be middle of the road hair metal band. But because they had all these things going with them, with being, you know, Christ- hard- hardcore Christian artists, uh-huh. you know, with, with with getting so much publicity for that, uh, and then having this pretty icon, I think it's a pretty iconic visual brand. Um, I certainly the first thing I think about them is the yellow and black outfits. Yeah, it yeah. helps with what they were doing musically, even if what they were doing musically was just to yeah uh, preach the gospel through you know through through <laughs> by the numbers hair metal through, through hairspray and, yeah, yeah <laughs> leather. <laughs> um, 
I'll agree. It is. It speaks to the power of branding, uh, the way things worked out for them. All right. Uh, uh, I propose we we talk about one of the uh, really striking artists you proposed for this, Alex, which is uh, uh, Storm. What is his name? I don't Storm know. Thorgerson. Is that his actual name? Is his name Storm? Like the ex. Yeah, he, he was born Storm Elvin Thorgerson. All right. In England, Middlesex, England. Really? Yeah. Okay. I assumed he was actually from Sweden or whatever that name sounds like. So he he died recently. He died. Oh, did he? In 2013. Um, but he, he obviously he's, he's known for uh, pretty much all of the Pink Floyd album covers. I'm not sure if he did the Wall, but I could you know it's easy to check. Yeah. Besides the point. Oh, he's done work for Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, um, even recently uh, the Cranberries, Mars Volta, Muse. Um, and hmm. he he's somebody that if if I were to pick anybody to if I was in a band and I wanted someone to design my cover I would pick him I think he's the most the best even album dead. design yeah even today <laughs> uh, yeah even dead yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I could find something in his archive and, and use it uh, but he's somebody who who uh, it, it's not painted uh-huh. it, it's all most of it's all photographic but he was doing this like kind of surrealist work. Yeah. Uh, even before like Photoshop was a thing bef- and he, a lot of this stuff he had to actually set up and, um, and actually photograph himself. But like, he, yeah, he, like the audio slave one we're looking at here, yeah. that looks like he actually built this big flame sculpture somewhere. I'm not sure if he did, but it no, looks but it's, like it's it. actually a microscopic, well, not microscopic. It's actually really small, but he would, he would do these cool mm. things where like us, he would show a, a small object that's blown up in a what seems to be a big space or a big you know mm-hmm. a, uh, environment and it would that juxtaposition of something that you, you you're seeing that's should be small but that's like the size of a mountain and he uh, he and often looks, puts something else like a human figure out of scale next to it mm-hmm. it seems like yeah mm-hmm. and and i don't know like the exact process of this uh, of, of how he worked if if mm-hmm. it, if it was multiple, I'm guessing a lot of this was like multiple photos that he kind of overlaid on top of each other and made as uh, realistic as possible. Um, but he did this a lot and it, it's, but it's still at the same time, like this is graphic design. This is, he's, he's a graphic designer. He's uh, you know, just the arrangement of all these things. It's mm-hmm. usually, there's a, a symmetry to it. There's a, um, it's not just a photo, but the, the layout is very, you know, there's an object uh, that that's that's the primary focus, but it's in some environment that's so fucking weird, yeah, and so uh, bizarre. And it and it, but it had so much to. I think this is what made Pink Floyd, uh, you know what what they are too. You know, Pink Floyd, you know, just like Radiohead, you know, you can't think of um, them without you know the the prism or the uh, yeah or the or the. Burning Did he Man. do the original prism on yeah, Dark Side of the Moon? Okay, because there are lots of variations on this site. But yeah, and I, th- I think. Every time they released, they did a re-release of it. Like he did, he did a different remix uh, okay. usually of it. Um, Which that is, that must be one of the five most iconic album covers, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's something about you know. There's almost not always, but there's he loves horizons with flat landscapes mm-hmm. in front of them. There's so there's almost always a sky meets ground thing, um, frequently with a flat dividing line between them. But then foregrounded in that landscape is usually just something really striking, like what you're saying. And it's striking because uh, it's usually a bold 
out of place object that is not only out of place in terms of what it is. Like we're looking at one now. This looks like the salt flats in Utah or something. Yeah, this is the cranberries. Oh, okay. Uh, and wake up, wake up and smell the coffee. Oh, there you go. And so it's a landscape of the salt flats uh, or, or something like them in Utah. And there's a, a human figure sitting up in a bed in the middle of this desert landscape with a bunch of um, possibly CGI'd, uh, in fact, you, you know, somehow effect uh, added um, uh, red spheres, um, cranberries perhaps, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, floating in the air. And so it's, they're not only, uh, they stand out in a couple of ways. One, they don't belong there like as a normal scene one would see in life, these yeah. things. And two, they look like they're part of the scene, but you can just tell that it's artificial. Um, you know, yeah. it pops out in a slightly weird way. Like the shadows here, you know, are pretty close, but they don't quite convince or something like that. I don't know. And that's not just this one, but a lot of them, uh, like we're, this is this other one with, uh, I think this was a, this was a Pink Floyd album yeah. cover with Pulse. the two eyeballs. Yeah. Two eyeballs stacked on top of each other on a shoreline and they, uh, Almost look like some sort of plastic sculpture, but the perspective just seems a little off. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very that striking. It's what I was thinking about when I was looking at these the first time is like he like mastered the art of just landing right in the uncanny valley where it all it's approaching full realism. It's mm-hmm. almost there, but it's not quite. And as a result, uh, you know, normally the uncanny valley, like if you see, you know, uh, like people. Uh, talking in video games like it's not or you know cgi in a lot of movies it's not Mm. quite good enough to actually convince you so it just makes you feel weird this does this makes you feel weird but it actually takes advantage of that effect to create sort of an aesthetic artistic effect in a in an intentional good way yeah and and pretty much you could see a common theme with all of them the thing the objects are usually placed right in the middle Mm -hmm. or the lines are perfectly flat perfectly straight um, and, and, and that's, that's hard to do even just for photography itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but he works with photography. He said, he said, uh, he said, I like photography because it is a reality medium. Unlike drawing, which is unreal. Mm. I like to mess with reality, to bend reality. Uh, some of my works beg the question, is this real or not? Yes. That's totally what they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it kind of makes you feel weird. It kind of, uh, you know, uh, I, I think artists uh, you know any good art music visual art you have to embrace weirdness mm-hmm. if, if it's not weird if you're afraid to be get weird um you're gonna fail the art you're, you're mm-hmm. and you're gonna fail it yourself I, and i think uh i mean that's really what separates like good art the, the your the favorite bands that you that you like um uh, th- th- that we all embrace that there's something that they do that's a little uncanny a little weird that just adds to you know the you know why we like them in the first place. Totally. Um, if something's not weird, um, it, 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 you have to. I think you'd have to question it. <laughs> you have to, <laughs> you have to, you have to, I would be afraid to put it out. Do something that's just just everything's going to get forgotten about any anyways. Everything's going to get redone. So just put something out that 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 that's that's strange. That that's different. I agree. These things. I don't know what it means. This uh, biblical album by Biffy Clearo. I don't know what it means that two figures are standing on a stack of a dozen suitcases, staring at each other on a green sword. <laughs> uh, but 
I will never forget looking at this image. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's arresting just to look at it. And you know, I'm, ge- I'm guessing the band begged for him to put the, the name in there. I know. Cause I, this is the first one I've clicked on that actually has. The, right. The and, and I would say there. it doesn't need that logo and, and the album title there at all. I agree. They would have uh, been better off without it. All the, all the Pink Floyd album covers didn't have Pink Floyd anywhere on it. It just had, just had the photo, just had the, the, the work itself. Yep. Well, Dark Side of the Moon might have had Dark Side of the Moon on it. I don't remember. Maybe it was a sticker slapped on later. Yeah. Um, which. It might have. It might not have. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this guy is great. I, I actually agree with you. I can't think of anybody more striking where I. There probably are uh, people who uh, do the Storm Thorgerson thing. Yeah. But. Um, like you, I don't know. Stanley Donwood, for all his greatness, seems less singular than, uh, you know. This is like the closest thing I can think of to uh, Storm's work is like a, a Dali painting, um, right? With that surrealism you were mentioning earlier. Uh, there are no melting clocks, but uh, very much Dali was also a big fan of those sort of barren landscapes with a horizon in the background and mm-hmm. then weird things going on in the foreground. Yeah. So. Something out of place. Some, yeah. Something imposing. Yeah. Weird body things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, this is cool. I honestly had no idea that there was even a singular person behind most of the Pink Floyd uh, artwork. And so I'm glad you showed this to me. I, I only discovered because I was, I was a big fan of Mars Volta. Um, uh. when you know they were releasing albums and i noticed all their album covers had the same uh kind of photographic style with you know again no no text on the cover at all um and something weird <laughs> happening you know a guy in a car with just his red mask uh, or red blanket over his head mm. driving which is like oh, why is he doing that and, and uh that's where i begin to realize uh Oh, that this this artist is still alive. This has united all these album covers that I recognize. Audio Slave, mm-hmm. um, and my favorite Pink Floyd album is uh, the one with the burning, uh, Burning Man on it. Um, oh, see. what's that album cover? Shit. <laughs> oh, Wish You Were Here, the Wish You Were Here album cover. What does that look like? I can't think of that. It's not on his website, but we'll 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 post it on. This is a apparel of the dis, of the digital age again. I have this album. I love it. Um, oh right, yeah, I totally know that album. Okay, yeah. So that's honestly one of his less surreal works. <laughs> it is, but uh, I, guess, I guess it's the one that um, I remember the most, and it strikes me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is highly conceptual too. Uh, and that it, one it really does sort of fit the themes of the album, talking about Sid Barrett going insane and stuff. You know, yeah, guy on fire. But they, they did this while recording the album. They were in uh, like a warehouse district in Los Angeles. I think this is like around Universal Studios area. Hmm. And uh, that they, does look like they actually photographed Studios. those two guys. And they actually, that guy on the right, they lit on fire. Oh, he actually was, was like fire. Re- re- real flames. And hmm. they disguised him in a way that where, you know, this flame retardant suit is uh, underneath the, the suit. But they, uh, yeah, they, 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 they are actually, you know, did this live, mm. which is actually even more impressive, you know, where, where he's not, uh, you know, standing behind a computer and adding, you know, yeah. flames to it, that, that this is some actual uh, production set. Um, and they kind of embrace like the, the kind of the non photogenic 
background uh, of just these warehouses. <laughs> it's it's not really pretty. It's not it's something that you know usually you do the shots inside of these uh, yeah these warehouses where most you know most of the production studios are, uh, but they kind of embrace this alleyway here. And uh, well, it's sort of like a man-made version of the barren landscapes he uses in his other ones a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know? But anyway, go on. yeah, bright blue sky. Yeah, yeah, in the probably yeah in the noonday sun, everything's like really overexposed but just the, yep. the concept here of just uh it's not just a guy on fire but just you know two guys it, it's it's about revealing your true identity and uh you know for i guess this was a critique on the music industry at the time and illustrating a guy getting burned in a deal <laughs> um so I, I thought that was cool um so it's not just about just being weird for the sake of it but just having something that's a, a smart purpose behind it totally uh, which i guess is like any any art but uh he did it the best well, some visual artists try to avoid any purpose. Um, all right. So I agree. That guy was awesome. Now, this last guy you suggested, uh, when I saw his name pop up, I was like, okay, now you're just pandering to me, Alex. Uh, <laughs> you chose Pink Floyd, Radiohead, and then Vasily Kafanov, who did the art for the Smashing Pumpkins, probably least loved album, but one we've covered at length on this in one episode of this show, uh, Machina, The Machines of God. Um, which, uh, whatever people may think of the music, uh, as soon as I saw the artwork for this album, even before it was actually released, uh, I was, I was, uh, stunned and entranced, uh, by it. I thought it was the coolest paint, one of the coolest paintings I'd ever seen on an album ever. This is another one where, um, the typography for as good as it may be probably detracts from the overall effect. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe the studio wanted them to put it in, but I don't know. It was, there, there was some, it wasn't just type, just plastered on, you know, plastered on. I think, yeah. It does think, fit in a little bit. I think the artist tried to, to make it work and it is, it's not bad. No, but the painting by itself is super cool. Mm-hmm. So tell me, tell me what attracts you to the work of Vasily Kafanov. Well, it, it, I guess it's just in, um, you know, to, to go the other way of where where storm uh, thorgensen was all photographic uh this guy is all you know ac- acrylic oil paintings mm-hmm. um and uh what what attracted me is uh to, to him um not only the, the smashing pumpkins album where it's very layered very thick you can really see the hand of the artist just piled on and it's yeah i would s- imagine if you see these paintings these are some that have like mm-hmm. real ridges and peaks and valleys to the paint but maybe not it well it is different to see like paintings like this for an album um it it it, it, it maybe maybe it does the paintings a disservice because you know you uh, when it's printed on an album you lose a lot of the grain yeah. that you would see the light you, effects and everything right if you were in a in a museum but i i, I found him because uh one of my favorite bands me without you uh if you click on the left there yeah me without you all their album um covers and and the artwork inside uh all come from him and they've used him uh either picking uh one of his existing paintings or uh commissioning him to do work on for the uh for a given album now what's cool is that you know over the years they released probably you know six to seven albums um but the just seeing the whole catalog together Mm -hmm. um and, and again they don't put their they don't put their name they don't put me without you at all on the cover. It's just, you know, here's this strange looking artwork yeah. uh, that, uh, you know, each one is different, but you see it, the whole catalog together kind of unites them all with the same, you know, 
hand of this artist that they decided to embrace to represent their music with. It always stood out to me. It, I always, I always thought it, it elevated the music and brought something uh, different to it because it, you know, where other people at the time in, in the same genre of music were doing more photographic layered stuff. This, the stuff I was trying to do, um, you know, this, this embrace like an old method of just, you know, here's a painting. Yeah. <laughs> no. And they're great paintings too. Um, I wonder how he ended up getting hooked up with uh, music artists. Do you know if he's done any besides the pumpkins and me without you? Uh, I, I know the story where me without you found him because they liked the smashing pumpkins yeah. album artwork so much that they decided to contact him. If they, they could just use any of his artwork for the album and, and uh, they, they struck up a relationship. They've, you know, uh, vacationed together and, um, you know, spent time together and um, collaborated in that. And I, you know, in a way he's become, um, an, an extra member of the band, as we said before, but their their relationship kind of uh, came about, and I think that's something that um, is really, you know, there's something to say for that for for a band to kind of have a relationship with the visual artist and 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 kind of stick with him uh, through each release and through uh, through everything else and just stay with that. Yeah. Because there's always there's always an urge for a band to release a new album and it's like, oh no, this is different. We're different. We're going to do things different. This is going to look different. We're going to have a, a new artwork. And, and, and then you see their catalog together and it's all over the place and it's, uh, you know, kind of, you know, I, I, you know, the, the best band, my favorite bands are the ones that kind of have, there's some consistency with the work they produce and they're very considerate with the, not only the, the, uh, the music, but just the, the visual element as well. Yeah. It should look dope as hell when you put all your favorite bands albums on the same shelf or something like that. Right. Um, and I, that does work pretty well with Pink Floyd or Radiohead or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the pumpkins who have pretty good artwork, uh, actually loved the pumpkins fonts when I was a kid. Um, even like the Siamese dream font, which is now on a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but they're, you know, the sort of um, uh, surrealist, uh, uh, old-timey, I don't know what the style is really, but like, you know, uh, late Victorian art style of melancholy doesn't really have anything in common with the uh, noirish black and white of a door or mm-hmm. the, um, the very, uh, very textured oil painting of Vasily Kafanov on uh, Machina. But... Um, uh, so even if I like all of those individually, they don't like, they don't really complement each other that well. So I agree. More bands should do this. That Me Without You album, by the way, I had actually forgotten about that until you brought it up. And I remembered that that album was really good. Yeah. Um, uh, Me Without You, all one word for those that don't know. And they are a Christian band, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it, y- or have been. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris- Christian music is... is- really strange uh just the whole like how can you make that a genre yeah Uh, because there's no like audible sound for it but uh you know at this time like the the guys who make the music they there's some bands who are christian who have a purpose of trying to evangelize through their music yeah which i think anytime your music has that type of agenda it affects the art (laughs) okay but yeah uh, they they would I I think they're the guys who would say they're they're Christians in a band and they're not in it to necessarily evangelize or like yeah do anything but but a like, Sufjan for instance right but they're they're a part of the Tooth and Nail record label yeah uh, I don't think they are anymore but they they 
That's right. right. That's why I thought of them. They were. And so they would play at festivals that were Christian. I I, I went to uh, Cornerstone Festival, uh, which was a used, used to be a big uh, Christian music festival uh, in, in Bushnell, Illinois. Um, but there was a lot of even non-Christian bands that would play. Um, but uh, all of them w- would struggle with that label. They didn't want to be in that label, but they embraced it because they had support from a record label that gave them an audience and that, you know, having an audience that, that knew that they shared something in common that they, you know, there was, they didn't want to. Yeah. Like, Cause I would think at the time uh, you, you, you wouldn't want that label, but, but labels like tooth and nail found that like, if you, you know, this is a, a, a segment of music listeners who don't want, um, swear words swear words I, I was, I, that's part of the reason was i couldn't have right words in my music for right some reason. and and i actually i mean i like tooth and nail records back in the day like oh I, me too I, I there was like i thought I, that, I loved getting their samplers and hearing a whole bunch of bands there's a lot there's a lot of bad bad music but there's also like a lot of like great music that uh that you know from bands and me without you one of them mm-hmm. uh that, that came out is starflyer 59 is one of the you know, mm-hmm. best bands that probably ever came out of uh, them and even or for Tooth and Nail, uh, one of my favorite uh, visual designers uh, who who did a lot of the album covers uh, was big big reason for me to get into art and design. Hmm. Uh, they were called Asterix Studio, now called Invisible Creature, uh, out of out of Seattle, and they were doing work for you know Emmy or uh, Grammy award winning that's cool design work. Um, that's awesome. So a lot of good art was coming out of it, but you know it's it, it's it's a weird relationship that bands uh who who are in that industry hate but they have to kind of yeah be honest with and say like well, well it's it's a trade-off you have to say i'm gonna put myself in this ghetto yeah but if i and i'll sort of be trapped there mm-hmm. but if i do i won't have much competition within that ghetto so i can be a big fish in this little pond to mix mm-hmm. metaphors um but I can never get to the big pond, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's some crossover bands that are able there are to, few. I mean, sixpence on the richer had a big song, yeah. um, jars of clay. Uh, sure. Uh, but, switch um, foot, I guess for, the, yeah, they you know, became popular for a while, but I hated them. <laughs> I totally hated yeah, them. Yeah. But it's hard <laughs> to get. Yeah. Cause it, it, it really sucks when you're a band and you want, you, you want to talk about the music you want, you want people to talk about like your art yeah. and then, and then this like extracurricular, like personal stuff, like gets in the way, like whether, yeah, whether are, are, are you Christian enough or, yeah. Well, I mean the one that I can think of who really left it behind was, um, uh, David Bazan, formerly Pedro the lion who like, uh, semi deconverted in public. And oh, I loved him too. And, yeah. and, and well, and I remember at the time, um, you know, it, what made his show so unique was that he would have like a question and answer period. Oh, really? I never saw him live. Yeah. I mean, he's still around. But I, yeah. Like yeah. between songs, he would just be he would just talk to people and say like, hey, it, 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 would have any questions for me. And people would ask him like super deep, deep intimate, <laughs> like personal belief questions. And I, I remember he like he was, you know, a guy who would always play at the at the festivals and, and play at churches, but would you know make announcements that he doesn't believe in God anymore. Yeah. And he and that he's, you know, uh you know, this and that. And it's cool that he would still play those places after feeling and that embrace way. it yeah. and, and, and talk to people and, and, and do all that. But yeah, the moment he started saying shit in his albums, like <laughs> you know, the gospel supply stores wouldn't carry it. Yeah. And and so 
but but he, I think he's done well. I, he's probably won. And Sufjan Stevens. Probably yeah, I wonder really how well. the Christian kids feel about Sufjan talking about making out with dudes and stuff now. Um, oh, but he's been super, uh, you know, in his blog posts, he's been super, uh, like, preachy. Like, yeah, lately, for yeah. real. And the tr- <laughs> Trump Trump has brought that out in a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 yeah, I think the, the politics side, yeah. you, know, you know, is an opportunity for, for a lot of people to make that that stand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Christian, Christian music is... is an interesting tangent we didn't mean to go on to. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, but I think I don't think there's any. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not a kid, I, so I, I like I don't know what labels are are pushing that agenda. But I know when you and I were, yeah. were younger, I bet there's. I remember a, I remember there was a guy at my church who came and says, "If you like Metallica, you would love this band. If you like Corn, <laughs> you would love this band." And it would just be a shittier version of like. If you like Corn, you would love Pod. Is the the the, the second? Oh, Pod is one. better than Corn, but but he was just bringing up like <laughs> yeah, you know, better or, or or just like just whatever was popular at the time, and it was just yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, sorry. Uh, you get two people who uh, listen to a lot of Christian music in the '90s together, and they're they're going to talk about Christian music from the '90s. So. Um, We've been chatting for a while, Alex. Uh, What's it been? Three and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, only uh, we're actually right on on schedule. This has been pretty good. All right. So uh, any could, final? Could, you could cut a lot of this down too. Yeah, we'll we'll cut all the parts um, where you're talking. Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> this is actually better. <laughs> no, this is actually really fun. Um, and uh, uh, I apologize, to everybody, that we have just discussed a visual subject uh, via an audio medium. But like I said, we'll put up a page, savagebeastpod.com slash alexart, where we'll post at least links to uh, the work of the artists uh, that we have discussed here. So um, feel free to, uh, you know, if you're at a place where, um, I personally would never be able to take advantage of this because when I listen to podcasts, I'm always doing something else. Um, But uh, if you are actually just listening to a podcast and you want to whip out your phone and take a look at some of this artwork, or if you're sitting at your desk and you just want to pull it up on your browser, um, that'd be a great way to sort of uh, get both sides of the conversation here. Um, So Joe should be back with me next week. Oh, before we go, I forgot one last thing, which now that you've heard Alex talk about design with respect to music for a while, uh, I'm going to let him plug something else, which is he's planning a podcast of his own if you want to describe oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, my, my colleague, Andrew Ling, and I, both designers, uh, you know, we were so inspired by the Savage Beast podcast. And uh, <laughs> you know, we decided in 2017, uh, this world needs another podcast of two guys talking about uh-huh. nerding out <laughs> or whatever. It's kind of like opening a t-shirt design company in 2008. But <laughs> whatever, we're going to hop on the train. Uh, not that we expect it to go anywhere, but we're going to be talking about design. Uh, and we're probably going to keep it regionally focused to around Tucson because we talk about Tucson quite a bit um, because I, I was born and raised here. He's He moved here from uh, Minnesota. And so we kind of bring some different perspectives ab- about this place that we've settled in. Uh, and Tucson's pretty fucking weird. And mm-hmm. I think there should be enough to talk about with that. Uh, so for people who live in Tucson and for people who like design, not just people who are designers, but who might be interested in it, I think, uh, I think we'll have some fun. I, uh, are you going to review the Visit Tucson uh, logo? Oh, yeah. Did? We'll talk about the logo. We'll talk about yeah. signage in Tucson. We'll talk about commercials. We'll talk about 
Let's talk about anything the, that comes comes about. But the our, our podcast is is called the Asset Party <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> An asset uh, is is a word that we use a lot in the uh, in the office and try to use it as much as we can in, in client meetings. Uh, robust visual assets that are high impact assets to do deliver the assets. So this is a asset party podcast that we're starting. <laughs> so pop is out, impact is in with in design. Yeah, jazz it up, make it pop. Uh, excellent. Um, I'm looking forward to that, Alex. You have uh, you have admirably tried to um, hedge your bets and say it's not going to be uh, a success, but uh, I would be very interested to hear about the visual culture of Tucson. So All uh, right. <laughs> I'm looking it. forward to it. All right. Thanks everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week with Joe. Uh, thanks very much to Alex for showing up and filling in and uh, I'm sure we'll have him on again at some point. So, so long. Adios.